Hello and welcome to the Albion Obsessed podcast. We come to you on the back of a 2-0 win that was by no means the best game of football we've ever played. But the sign of a good team is coming away from a game where you don't particularly play well with three points. But more on that in just a little while. Let's see who we've got on the show tonight. We welcome Joe. Joe, my friend, how are you keeping? Hello. Um, yeah, all good, mate. I'm sure the listeners and viewers are going to be like, whoa, that's not Joe's voice at the start of an episode. Tom's back. How are you, mate? Yeah, I can confirm I am back. And I'm also not just back on the podcast. I'm back in Sussex. That is why my background is not the usual array of football shirts. Instead, I just have this cap that is sat on my dad's bike. And, and the uh, blue and white animal box, which uh, that. Yeah, if you know, if you know the reference to uh, an obscure 2014 game, then you know. Drop it in the comments. Yeah, exactly. If you know the reference, drop it in the comments. And I've got the, the dartboard over there as well. So, yeah, it's a um, different setup, which I'm still getting used to. But, but less about that and more about Curtis Friend, because Curtis Friend is here today. Curtis Friend, how are you, my friend? He is here and he is well. He's glad to be here with you, chaps. Spectacular. Speaking about yourself in the third person is always a win in my books. Um, and talking of a win in the books, boys, um, a win at, against Plucky Bournemouth. Um, the first time we've done the double over them since 2008, I believe. And a, a first Premier League victory at the uh, Vitality Stadium, Dean Court. I'm never really sure on what it's called these days. Um we will talk, of course, about the, uh, the the match itself. But as ever, I like to talk about the starting 11s. Now, Joe, I was a little surprised um, with the games coming thick and fast at the moment. I thought we'd see a bit more rotation. When I was doing my like predict your starting 11, um, I actually predicted a, a, a fair bit more rotation than we saw. Were you surprised by the lack of rotation or were you just a case of, well, this is our strongest starting 11? Let's have it. Uh, I wouldn't say surprised is the word. I would say uh, relieved uh, because I feel like that Bournemouth game was a huge banana skin. I've said it before. Um, and, you know, uh, looking back at hindsight now, it's great that we've won it. But it, it would have been, um, I think, a big risk for us to to play a rotated 11. Uh, so, yeah, relieved, Tom, that we're seeing um, some... Yeah, I think there was, what, two changes um, so even in the massive schedule that we've got, uh, seeing some consistency because we're going to need that. We need to keep the the momentum going if we're going to push on to achieve the targets that Roberto De Zerbi and the squad are, are set set out to achieve. And I think they're higher targets than than what us fans are, are hoping for now, which is great. I mean, aim high, and then anything else is is a bonus. Um, but yeah, uh, not overly surprised. Um, just yeah, really happy that. We can carry on that momentum. Yeah, what you said there about consistency, of course, is really key. Um, you want a starting eleven that knows each other really well. I mean, and you talk about those two changes. It was Adam Webster coming in for Levi Colwell and Evan Ferguson for Danny Welbeck, who are no strangers to the starting eleven this season by any means. Um, as I say, I was a tad surprised, but it's one of those, as you say, we want to keep that momentum going, and the best way to do that is to keep uh, a starting eleven now. Curtis, one player that was um, criticised um, for their performance against Brentford was Jason Steele. 
um, and many fans were calling for Robert Sanchez uh, to be brought back in uh, to tend goal. Now, um, these comments were made by De Zerbi after the game, but I just want to read them out to you here and get your thoughts on them. Because Roberto De Zerbi has said this about Jason Steele. For me, I don't know if there is another keeper in Europe, in Europe, so good, so smart to understand the line pass, to understand the opponent's pressure, and he is playing fantastically. So I just want to repeat this one key line. I do not know if there is another keeper in Europe so good. Curtis, what have your what were your thoughts on Jason Steele? Were you surprised to see him after after the Brentford game conceding three? Or like Roberto De Zerbi, do you think he's actually quite criminally underrated by some of our fans? Um, yeah, criminally underrated. I, I completely agree with that. Um, uh, I think he had a, an amazing game yesterday. A really, really, really great game. He made a, a, a couple of really good uh, saves, especially one that was just dipping in. He just tipped it over the bar. You'll know the one I'm talking about. Um, but he's such a out-and-out professional. You can see that from every time he talks um, talks about the club and talks about Deserbi and, and, and whatnot. He's got a huge amount of passion. I don't know if you guys saw that moment where he ran up to Deserbi uh, when we scored and gave him a big hug. Um, and that that's wonderful. And um, I, I never got that so much of that feel with Sanchez that he had that much passion within him i know he did it's a fiery fiery spaniard and all that but um i'm just happy to see still doing doing well um and listen we, we we can't we can't go in and expect steel to have amazing games every week yeah he wasn't incredible against brentford um but also you know brentford's keeper he conceded three and they've not made probably not gonna make any changes with him either so um i'm happy with steel um the the europe thing um as a bold statement and it's nice to hear that from your manager i'm sure you know um so more of those comments to more of the players because it's got to be great to hear for morale yeah ten thousand percent i mean look what it's done for sully march um a man we we've spoken about many 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 times on the podcast how having that manager coach who believes in you has changed his outlook completely, his form completely. Um, and let's hope the same gets done with Jason Steele, Joe. Cause I mean, I mean, it's not like the Brighton fan base, especially on social media, Joe, to, 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 to hone in on a single player like that. Is it? It's really, uh, it's really out of character. Some would say. Um, I mean, the goals against Brentford weren't even Jason Steele's fault. Like, guys, correct me if if any of those goals were, were his fault. But for the, the first only goal, two, Joe, that was his fault was Matoma's. Well, exactly. So the first two, the defense were completely asleep. One seconds after scoring, which is criminal in itself. I was really, really disappointed with that. Um, and the the third one is Stupinian. He, he's not tracking his man. He's not getting goal side of his man, and that that's the simplicity of defending is to stay goal side, so they don't have that easy of a chance to just poke it beyond your goalkeeper. So sometimes your goalkeeper is only as good as your defense because he's one man and he's up against, in Ivan Tony's case, and as much as we just don't like him for for what he's done outside of the pitch, on the pitch, is a world-class finisher you can't take that away from him so you can't slander Jason Steele 
for the defense's shortcomings, so the team's shortcomings. All of all of those goals, you, you, I don't think you can blame him. And as you say, Tom, the the pass for Matoma was unlike anything probably since uh, the the Robert Sanchez ball through to uh, the the frizzy haired player who I've forgotten the name of. Um, so yeah, it's, Todd it's, Miller. It's, it's been, yeah, that's the one, Todd Miller. Yeah, he came off the bench, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, but look, look, I mean, um, we're we're straying into dangerous post post game territory. Let's actually talk about the actual Bournemouth game then, because um, I mean, chances were coming thick and fast in the early sort of opening moments. Curtis, um, Alexis McAllister looked really sharp. He blazed over quite early on. Um, Ferguson again, he had a had a challenge. Um, sorry, um, Ferguson rode a challenge, um, and then his shot was deflected behind. Um, and then one of the real crookses for me, Curtis, was Dunk. He had a, a free header uh, at the back post, um, and it just it just went over. There was um, wasn't on target. One of the cur- things, Curtis, that a lot of fans have been quite critical of this season is Brighton scoring from set pieces. What have you made of Brighton's ineffectiveness from set pieces? Um, it's been frustrating to say to say the least because. Uh... I'm sure it's something that they work on. I'm sure it's something that they they practice and and whatnot. But I think it, it's also got to do with the way that teams set up. Um, it's always going to be tricky to score from those positions realistically. But we have to do better. We've got some some good tall players that should be able to you know knock in some headers now and again. And uh, we've not been able to do that. And corners especially are ones that really frustrate me we take a lot of really poor short corners and they really frustrate me like um so yeah maybe it's just something that needs to be worked on a bit more and I, i'm again i'm sure that that's already being done but they just uh yeah we've just got to keep at it essentially and eventually hopefully we'll, we'll get one from one of them i will take one I think the stat before the game um, this season was something like 168 corners taken and two goals scored. Well, how, how many corners did we have in the Brentford game? Like 14 against their nothing, right? It was uh, yeah, like quite that. yeah, it was quite quite a high number. But once again, mm-hmm. not capitalising on them. And, and the likes of Lewis Dunk, especially who we've seen be really effective from corners, there was what one season not all that long ago where he was our top scorer. I mean, albeit I think it was in the championship. It wasn't the championship. Um, you'd like to think he still knows where the net is. Um, but anyway, from one end, Joe, to the other in reference to corners, um, Brighton have a pretty dismal record of defending set pieces. Um, and it was, you could really see it on display last night. Um, the moment I'm thinking of in particular was where. Jack Stevens, I think it was, he had a, a free header at the back post as well. And luckily for us, it, it, it was off target. But it was one of those moments where you just thought, well, actually, Bournemouth deserved to be 1-0 up here. So, Joe, we're seeing the same sort of problems defending set pieces as well as attacking them, aren't we? Yeah, um, and I think it sh- it surely goes down to communication thing because you you, you don't turn into an awful defender um for for thir- not even 30 seconds for 10 seconds whilst the corner's being taken it has to be a lack of instruction it has to be a lack of an idea as to what what you need to be doing and who you need to be tracking where you need to be stood in the box 
Um, and as Curtis says, I'm sure that that all gets worked on. So it is something that is very confusing to us fans. We can only sit there and watch them do this week in, week out and hope that on the training ground, something's being sorted. Um, and, and in the meantime, hope it doesn't pa- uh, punish us within those 90 minutes that we're watching um, and that, that we're playing. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what it is. Um, it, as I say, for, for me, it's got to be lack of communication. Yep, interesting. Let us know your thoughts, uh, viewers, down below in the comment section. Where do you think Brighton need to improve upon in terms of attacking and defending set pieces, which seem to be a bit of a weakness in our game at the moment? Um, another weakness that many fans have been pointing out, Curtis, is, is being a bit sloppy in possession. And we'll talk about it a bit later on in the show. But Brighton um, giving the ball away very needlessly at times, um, causing ourselves problems. And you do, did feel last night that if Bournemouth were to go on and get a goal, it would most likely be down to Brighton being sloppy in possession. Again, it's one of those things I don't want to be too critical because let's, you know, we haven't even discussed like the goals yet. But um, is this another area that you'd like to see Brighton improve upon? I can tell you probably straight away that um the Serbi saw that and was not was not pleased with it. There was a lot of errant passing. There was a lot of um I felt like there was a bit of lethargicness out there. <clears throat> it, it, def- it definitely felt like they weren't as switched on as they could have been. Um, so, yeah, if, if we noticed it, he definitely did. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely an area to, to improve, just to, just to switch on at those key moments. Yeah, let's turn our attention then, boys, to something a bit more positive, shall we then? Um, before I talk about that first goal, I just want to bring you up on something, young Joseph, because me and you had a bit of a, a disagreement, not like a an argument per se, not at all, um, in regards to a certain player last night. And I, that was Alexis McAllister. I thought at the start of the game, especially, he was at the sort of at the heart of everything that was going quite well for Brighton. I really liked what he was doing there. Um, but a lot of fans have said that they, because last night, um, Alexis McAllister was playing in that more advanced role, that more of a 10 role. Um, but many fans prefer him, including yourself, I believe, Joe, but if that's wrong, please you know, correct me there. Um, they prefer him playing alongside Moises Caicedo. So my question to you then, Joe, is which role do you prefer him in? Yeah, I, I do prefer, I, I think he was definitely more effective from, from that deeper role. Um, I've explained, I don't know if it was our podcast or someone else's, I've explained that when when Alexis is sitting deep and he's got more space to to operate in, that's that's when he can really, really hurt teams. Um, and I feel like as he's, I believe, I, I don't know how true this is, obviously this is just my thoughts, I think he's come back from the World Cup, he's won the World Cup and Deserby's given him more respect and saying, look Alexis, where do you want to play? Where do you think you can be more most effective? I don't know if stuff like that happens, but that's just my sort of theory um, and I, I'm thinking he's saying I want to play higher up the pitch because I want to get myself more goals um, and that's the area that I was I, I feel that I can improve in um, but with that comes less space with that comes teams pinpointing Alexis as a focal point of our attack um, and sort of shutting him him out a little bit easier um, and I feel at times he, he can be a little bit too weak and I don't want to sit here and slate Alexis McAllister because I absolutely adore him as a footballer. I think he's absolutely fantastic. I I think personally, from watching him win the World Cup and from 
seeing how good he was there, my expectations of him have risen. And maybe he's not hitting those expectations. Um, so it's not Alexis' fault. It's probably my fault for for expecting more from him. Um, and and I, I'm I'm not sitting here saying that he's putting in four out of tens every week. He you know he's doing seven out of tens a, a weekly, um, and I'm expecting those eights and nines. Um, but anywhere on the pitch, Alexis McAllister is is a fantastic footballer. Um, he he can tackle hard. He's intelligent. He he runs. Um, He's got a shot on him when he hits the target. Um, and we know that he can hurt teams. We've seen it so many times. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but for me, to answer your original question, I, I would like to see him in the deeper role with Pascal Gross a little bit further. Also, congratulations to Alexis on his 100th game for us yesterday, which is pretty big. And that lovely video he put out on his social media. If you haven't seen that, go and watch it. It's lovely. Really nice. Thank you for that shout, Curtis. Yeah, um, it is a really nice video and 100 games for us. And Curtis, just really briefly on Alexis McAllister, because it is worth remembering that at the end of last season, when Basuma moved on, um, a lot of fans were very worried um, because I think last season we we had a, a brief window where we saw Basuma... Caicedo and Muepu in the same starting eleven, and it was pretty glorious. Um, Basuma obviously um, moved on. Uh, Muepu very sadly and very tragically had to retire very early. Um, but at the start of this season, Alexis McAllister did allay a lot of fears um, when Graham Potter did start playing him in a deeper role, and a lot of fans were a bit sort of unconvinced by that. Could he perform this Basuma role? But actually, Curtis, McAllister has shown this season he can play pretty much anywhere in the middle of the park. But you, Curtis, my opinion, I would like your opinion, please. Where do you pl- where would you like him to play? At 10 or at 8? Um, the linesman. No, no, no. Um, no, no. I mean, I, I would pay him a more of that deeper role as well. I, I agree a lot with what Joe and some other people are saying. I think he suits that a bit more. Um in my opinion, um, I feel like he can still be that sort of attacking threat from in that deeper position as well. So, uh, but I just think he looks better deeper down the pitch. I'm inclined to agree, but view, of course, as ever, please let us know your thoughts on where you would play McAllister. Um, because also playing McAllister in a bit deeper frees up Pascal Gross to play just behind a striker, which I think is actually Pascal's best position as well. Um, but anyway, let's uh, let's talk about the goal then, Joe, because I think this is one of the goal of the season contenders. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Um, but before, Joe, before we even talk about the goal, let's talk about Dunk. Because this move starts at the back. Like all good things about Brian at the moment, it starts at the back with some lovely work from Dunk. Fantastic work to get to a Stupinian whose cutback is half cleared. Um, Matoma gets the ball into the box and Ferguson you cannot do that you just can't do that unless it's on some sort of website that is specifically specifically meant for people of a certain age and over because it was just it was just filthy Joe absolutely filthy what was your opinion Joe not just on the finish which was 
Chef's Kiss, but also on the build-up. And again, I'm just going to highlight Lewis Dunk because I thought Lewis Dunk was pivotal in that in that goal. Yeah, and so he is with a lot of our goals. Whether the the, the move starts ten sort of passes back from from when he's got the ball, he's always looking to make that deadly pass and to to get the team up the pitch and and to get us moving clinically. Um, and the the pass for Estupinian just takes Bournemouth completely out of the game. He's in behind their defence. Shame, obviously, that Estupinian's cross didn't quite come off. Um, but it just goes to prove that Lewis Dunk, in my opinion, is the best ball-playing uh, centre-back in the league at the moment. Um, certainly English centre-back in the league. Kind of Southgate. Um, but, yeah, uh, really good for Matoma to recover that ball um, and, and to get another cross in. Um, and to be honest, quite a hard cross for, for Ferguson to, to deal with. And I, I feel it came in at some pace. So we're talking about that's a nanosecond decision for Ferguson to decide, I'm going to do this. Um, and apparently it's not the first time he's done it. I, I saw a, a link um, showing like an Irish under 10s game um, and he'd done it then as well. So um, I guess he's always had that in the locker. But to do that in a Premier League game, um, as I say, with a nanosecond decision of what, do, how do I deal with that cross? And just to like, the, you, he couldn't have picked up the ball and placed it better with his hand. He just got it so far away from the goalkeeper, completely out of his reach. Um, and we are seeing in front of our eyes the, the, the birth of one of the best strikers that the Premier League is going to see. I'm going to make that call now. He is going to be absolutely phenomenal and how lucky we are to see the start of that career. And hopefully we're going to see lots more of it. Um, but of course, we know when Brighton players do well, they're linked to everybody under the sun. Um, but I guess we sometimes maybe have to take that as a compliment. Um, but at the end of the day, we've seen that goal and it was frigging beautiful, Tom. And yeah, as you say, chef's kiss. Yeah, it, it was just a thing, a thing of beauty. And I think um, it, personally, I mean, of course, very, very biased. As you would expect, nothing more from a Brighton podcast. But the best thing for Evan Ferguson to do, in my opinion, is to stay at Brighton because he's not going to be getting this game time um, anywhere else um, in the Premier League and for a team that are currently you know chasing down top four let's be honest that's what we're sort of chasing down and it's just I just can't believe that um, we're going to talk also Curtis about Karu Matoma um, because he becomes the first Brighton player with a goal involvement in five Premier League games in a row um, so he's directly he's been directly involved in 11 goals in his last 15 Premier League appearances. That's seven goals and four assists. Um, Matoma has these moments where he sort of drifts in and out of the game. But when he affects the game, boy, does he affect the game, Curtis. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. What a, what a man. What a man. Um, so pivotal to us now. You know, it's it's mad to think he hasn't always been there you know it's it's so strange to think of where we were last season with who we had and what we've got now i just it's upgrades upgrades it's what we do man we're just so ready all the time we're on the pulse um but i'm so happy that we have him um um but by the way before you didn't ask me about the ferguson goal and i want to say that was disgusting 
absolutely disgusting. I had to have a sit down and a cigarette after I saw that. That was wonderful. Um, hopefully we get more of that out of him in the future, definitely. It was shades of Alexis McAllister against Middlesbrough. It was just, oh, delightful. Absolutely delightful. It was um, better. It was better than McAllister versus Middlesbrough, in my opinion. Okay, I, I couldn't believe it was... I just couldn't believe that we'd scored a goal like that, you know. It's one of those, like, step out step out of it moments. Because I told you, sometimes I like to just stand back and be like, oh, wow, we're doing this and we're we're pushing for this European... It's mad, man. It's mind-blowing. I can't believe it. We're, we're great. Aren't we great, guys? Yeah, it's... um. We'll talk more about it at the end of the episode, but, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Curtis. I still quite, can't quite uh, get my head around it. Um, but, yeah, more of that on that a bit later. Um Unfortunately, we couldn't really uh, kick on from them. I think the rest of the half, I think, would be lying if we said that Bournemouth weren't the stronger team. And Joe, it took some fantastic goalkeeping from Jason Steele and some very good defending from Adam Webster um, to keep Bournemouth at bay. Do you think that sort of performance by Jason Steele, Joe, solidifies even more so his new number one role as, uh, well, number one? 100% 100% because, you know, when when the defenders were all at sea, when our team was all at sea, it was him, you know, digging us out the gutter. So um, it was amazing for, for him to, you know, get the, the three goals against Brentford out the back of his, uh, out the back of, well, I don't know what I'm saying, out out of his mind um, and, and to come in and, and keep a clean sheet. Um, and he, he's going to be so happy with that. Um Going forwards, uh, I think Roberto Zerbi confirmed that Sanchez will be playing uh, in the FA Cup against Man United. So uh, I think that tells you that Jason Steele is, is going to be the Premier League number one for the rest of the season, in my opinion. Um, unless, obviously, any any ridiculous howlers. But, um, you know, he's been so professional. And I love listening to him speak afterwards as well. A man that's so honest and wears his heart on his sleeve. I, I've referenced it before, but I've watched the Sunderland Till I Die uh, series, um, and you know, for for what he's gone through in his career, and to be what thirty two now, um, and and pushing uh, a team for top four, which, as you say, Tom, is is mad to to think. It, it's just absolutely amazing, and and fair play to him. And I think as well, um, as you said, Tom Bournemouth were the better team after we scored. Um, and and for for other periods of the game and and you have to give them credit because they're a team that are fighting for their life, they're they're playing at home and and they're not a team that have you know sat back like we've seen. They did it at the Amex. I'm not going to lie, uh, but at home they they've given their fans something to shout about and they've given us a bloody good game. Um, and yeah, it was it was scary scary times, but for us to ride that wave just gives me even more confidence because imagine if that was us two seasons ago, we would have lost that game a good three or four nil. Yeah, we probably would have done. And um, yeah, it took, um, as I say, we'd be lying if we were saying Bournemouth weren't the better team. And it is worth remembering that they just beat Fulham. So they just beat a team that were, were pushing, you know, for top six and Fulham, you know, falling away a little bit now with uh, Mitrovic, uh, being obviously having his ban. So that's news to our ears. Um, again, I don't want to kind of like jump around a little bit here, but Villa, they're the team that I think are going to be 
for the running. Um, but back to the goalkeeper um, question, Curtis. Uh, Steele has, as Joe says, in all likelihood, looks like he's going to be the number one for the remainder of the season. Uh, do you, can you see a scenario playing out where big Bob Sanchez leaves in the summer? Good question. Um, I'm. I feel like he he's going to want to play first team football, um, and right, rightfully so. You know, he wants to play for his national team and and things like that. And he's young. Um, listen, it's definitely a possibility, absolutely. Um, but I'm sure, Cat. Um, by the way, I'm sorry about this. Uh, I'm sure that we have a a plan in place to address uh, address it most likely. So, uh, so I'm not concerned, but you know, ultimately whatever's best for him, I think he needs to uh, push for ultimately. So. Yeah. I think you've got a really good point there, Curtis. I mean, big Bob Sanchez, you know, he's been in the, in the Spain squad. He's been a number one at a premier league side. Um, so dropping to the bench in favor of a 32 year old Jason Steele uh, must be quite gutting for him. Um, and with Sherpen coming back and obviously I know Sherpen's a bit of a, bit of an out there prospect, but we've got to remember he played for Ajax, who themselves are a very renowned passing side. Um, and I'm sure Roberto De Zerbi would like to run the rule over him before he makes a decision uh, on who his keepers are going to be, assuming he doesn't also want to bring someone else in. Um, but of course, viewers, let us know your thoughts down below about who is Albin's number one. And it, can you see a scenario where uh, Big Bob Sanchez leaves in the summer? Um so the first half closed with Bournemouth very much in the ascendancy. One of the other talking points here, really, Joe, was Alexis McAllister um, went down um, looking like he was injured and there were some question marks um, over him coming back out for the second half. I was very adamant on the group chat at halftime that I'd bring him off. Um, he didn't come off. He came out um, and started the second half. But were was there any... Was there ever a time where you thought, oh, this, this might not be the right call to bring him back out, considering we now go, we also play again on Saturday? Yeah, um, I, I would have, I wouldn't have been surprised if he, if he came off at half time. Um, I would have seen it as a very smart move to take him off, um, considering as well later in the game, um, he went down with another injury. So, I think some fatigue uh, is, is coming into play. Um, not forgetting that. Um, only last week, I believe he was um, in Argentina as well, playing for his national squad. So he's played a lot of football. Um, so it'd be wrong for us not to be concerned that maybe he, he might pick up something here and here or there. Um, but of course, if if the physios are happy, if Roberto De Zerbi is uh, wanting to stay on the pitch and, and Alexis is happy for that as well, um, he's, he's played a massive part in, in getting us that win. Um but yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised uh, either way. Um, jumping ahead a bit in terms of time frame, Curtis. Then, but within the same sort of remit of injuries, uh, we was disappointed to see Moises Caicedo uh, very much in the same boat. There was a few challenges where Caicedo had gone down during the game, and I was a bit sort of heart in mouth. Um, it's no secret that he is incredibly important to the way that Deserbi wants to play. And unfortunately, he did have to come off with an injury. There, um, was um, uh, there were some fears, I suppose, that he might have to be brought off on a stretcher. Thankfully, that wasn't needed in the end. Um, but how much of a blow would it be to lose Caicedo uh, on Saturday? I know that there have been reports that he still could play, 
but I think we've also got to be sort of like, you know, quite realistic about this. Man's been brought off injured, so there is a chance that he might not. Yeah, I mean, the, um, those those fears are definitely warranted. I, 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 I don't. I think it might be fair to say he's like someone you could consider as like uh, the heart of the team. You know that that central uh, strong part of us, uh, because you know without him in the past we've looked a little bit weaker in that midfield. I think that's fair to say. Um, even though I think we've got you know great players that can cover for him. Um, but yeah, when I when I saw them brought the stretcher on, I was I was very very concerned, especially you know how we're kind of close to the end of the season and we've got, you know, some really big, important games coming up. So we have to be very wary about sort of man management and how they're taking care of themselves and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, Mc- the McAllister thing, uh, to, to hop back to that, I probably would have taken them off a lot earlier too, just to be safe, you know. But it's good to hear from the club um, that they will both be available for Tottenham. Um, but... Um, I don't know. Hopefully he does okay up until uh, the weekend. Yeah, fingers crossed because both players, Alexis McAllister and Moises Caicedo, so, so important to the way that we play. Um, and we will talk about the the lads that replace them in just a little while. But before we do that, Joe, um, the, the second half very much played out very similar to the first half in many ways. Uh, Bournemouth probably in the ascendancy for large parts. Brighton spurning quite a few chances. There was uh, Ferguson um, flashed a shot wide. Um, Solly March played a lovely ball into Ferguson, who then fired it over. Uh, Grost forced a good save from Neto. Welbeck, when he came on, had a, a shot saved. And on the flip side of that, Joe, you know, Bournemouth were really going for it. And, you know, I think Curtis already alluded to earlier in the show, um, Jason Steele had to be alert to tip uh, Lerma's shot over the bar. And they also missed uh, from about three yards. Um, Joe, with us not taking our chances and with Bournemouth sort of really knocking on that door, um, how did you feel the game was going to pan out? Was there ever a part of you that thought, "Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna lose this"? Um, I think Glenn Murray summed it up perfectly on the commentary. He said, "Sometimes football evens itself out." Uh, Brighton haven't been the best here, but they had 33 shots against Brentford. Um, and here they are against uh, a Bournemouth side, absolutely fighting for their lives, 1-0 up, having really not done much in the game compared to what we have been doing. Um, and I think that just goes to prove the league positions that we, we both teams find themselves in. Bournemouth not capitalising on these guilt-edge chances that we're almost handing to them sometimes. Um, and yeah, um, I, I I was worried at, at times. The group chat shows that, um, you know, I was just a, a ball of nerves. Um, but I think those emotions are going to be even higher as, as the games go on because of what we're aiming for. Um, again, I'll say it, you've said it, Tom, aiming for top four, aiming for Champions League, Brighton and Hove Albion, aiming for these heavy heights in not English football, European football. And some of the, the, the best competitions on the world stage, players kill to play in the Champions League, Europa League, the top end of the Premier League. That is their dream. And here we are talking about our little club that all, uh, 
we always do it on this podcast. We always talk about the, the, the time where we almost didn't exist. And we spoke about the emotions of it as well in, in, in the group chat uh, last night. And Tom, you were saying that if we get any aspect of European football or if we uh, make the FA Cup final or even go on to win that FA Cup final, just how those emotions are going to be, because it, it means so much more to us than just a target. It's it's such a statement as as to what football can do still in this day of multi-billion pound football clubs. Um, and I sit here think, talking as if we're so hard done by that our squad only costs 55 million pounds. But it still blows my mind that we're talking about a Brighton squad that costs 55 million pounds. Um, so, you know, yes, I was worried because the prize is so massive. It's, yeah. And 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 that that's just going to get worse, unfortunately. Yeah, it probably will. Um, as the run-in gets, uh, you know, as the few of the games uh, re- we have remaining, the, the, the points start needing to start stack up. But I think um, no matter what happens this season, considering everything that we've been through already, just this, not even this, like, football season because it's not even finished but you know what we've been through in the last six months has been ridiculous so to be here fighting uh, against that is is mad and this is why you've got to get results against teams with all due respect to Bournemouth that are are in the wrong at the wrong end of the table you need to um you know come away with points um and Brighton in the past have been really guilty of not doing that um playing very well against the teams that are the big teams and then, you know, playing poorly against the teams that are fighting for relegation. So it was fantastic to see us uh, put that hoodoo to bed. And uh, that hoodoo came, Curtis, um, with some changes because we saw Enciso come on and Yasin Ayari. Now, before we get on to Enciso, let's talk about Yasin Ayari because he looked very tidy when he came on. And I think it was a bit telling, Curtis, that Yasin Ayari came on instead of Billy Gilmore. Um, so that might have been something that many fan, Brian fans might have missed or have overlooked. Um, it doesn't seem to have worked out for young Bill. Um, he is a very popular player around the dressing room by, by you know, from what I've seen on like the club's socials and everything. Uh, but a young lad, Yasin Ayari, getting picked ahead of him. Do you think that this, is, am I reading into this too much or is this an indication of who Deserby prefers if, for instance, Caicedo was unable to fulfil his his role in the starting eleven. Yeah, you know, I was thinking this yesterday after the game, actually. It was only after I saw someone else point it out. I was like, yeah, what what more does he have to do to get game time, you know? Um, so you've got to feel sorry for him. And yeah, I agree. Seemingly, he's a great lad. Um, in the uh, interviews I've seen with him, he seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders. And, and you know, like from the footage I've seen, he played really, really well when he was at Chelsea. And I, I don't doubt he's got a lot of heart and what have you. Um, so, you know, I'd like to see him maybe play in the cup um, or even get some minutes in that game, regardless of how it goes. Um, but just something I'd, I'd like to, I'd like him to have something. Um, but I feel like he doesn't, maybe doesn't quite fit what Deserby is 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 trying to do. Um, because I heard, I heard, um, 
someone mentioned at some point on Twitter, it was like a, a source says that Billy Gilmore might be going out on loan essentially in the summer. So we'll just have to see how all that pans out. But yeah, ultimately, I don't think he quite fits that uh, that that thing that Deserby wants. Yeah, and let's be honest, Deserby plays with a very particular style in mind, a double pivot in midfield. Um, and I do think Billy Gilmore could play a role, but it's worth remembering that he was brought in under the previous manager who would have had a you know, very different uh, tactical sort of um, approach to the game. Um, let's talk about the man... Uh, Julio Inciso then let's talk, talk about him um, something Joe has really changed about Julio Inciso in my opinion um, he looked when he first kind of was getting Premier League minutes he looked very lightweight uh, a bit selfish um, but something seems to have changed a little bit and whether that's through training or because he's becoming acclimatized to the Premier League um, I'm not quite sure. Um, but he's looked a very different player in recent games, Joe. And what a way to to cap off um, a performance that, as I said at the top of the show, wasn't our best by any means, but saw two fantastic goals. Um, and Julio Nciso getting his first goal for Brighton. It was a lovely pass from Gross to find Nciso in the box. He he turns a Bournemouth tackler inside out, takes his time, seems to take an age. Could have had a cup of tea with that goalkeeper. Um, but in the end, he slots it past um, past Neto, and uh, you know it's two nil. Uh, nerves have gone. But Joe, what a range around from the young lad who not that long ago was looking a bit lightweight. I think it's never been um, it, it's never been unknown that he doesn't have talent. If that does that make sense. Uh, it, it's always been known that he's had talent is what I should have said. Um, and it was about getting the intelligence that you need to be a Premier League footballer across into his game. Um, because when you see a young South American kid playing that well, you know that there's bags of potential there. And the, the, the squad are always, always talking about are, are youngsters that have all this potential. Jason still said it after the game yesterday. Adam Lalana has said it on multiple occasions. Um, and I, I think it's it's so lucky for Nciso to come in in a season where we've got Roberto De Zerbi. Um, because if you want any anyone to give you confidence, anyone to, to train bad traits out of your game, it's going to be Roberto because... As we've said before, he strives for that never, uh, never appearing perfection. The the perfection that will never come. And if you're in CISO, you you need that. Um, and I I think he's being spoken to by Alexis on multiple occasions. I think to be learning off of Pascal Gross and having Danny Welbeck, Adam Lallana, it's it's only going to help him. Um, and I'm so so happy for him because that first goal's been coming. It has like against uh, West Ham. I think he had a really good shot saved um, against Chelsea. He had two really, really good chances saved. Um, one parried for Pascal Gross to, to finish the game. Um, so it, it's no secret that he's unbelievably talented um, and how bloody happy I am that he got that goal. And as you say, Tom, it literally took him a bloody age to put it in the back of the net. My stream was a little bit behind yesterday because I watched it on a very legal stream. Um, and uh, I, I saw that uh, you put NCSO scored. 
Um, and then when when the chance fell to him, because I knew he was going to score at some point, I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> what is this? Um, and I think the person he turned was uh, Stevens, who a few minutes beforehand um, he was having handbags with. Uh, so that was um, that was interesting. And uh, yeah, Julio got the last laugh. So unlucky. I might be wrong. It might not have been Stevens, but I, I think I remember that right. I'm pretty sure it was. Now, Curtis, before I get your views on the guy, I just want to read this tweet um, because it just jogged my memory there. Um, so someone uh, called Johnny Sharples uh, put this on Twitter last night just after the game. And it said this, Who on earth is Julio in CISO? Seriously, every week Brighton have a new South American that they've just made up. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. We're, we're quite good at... Um plucking these young imaginary South American talent out of nowhere. Um, no, but I think it's just testament to our recruitment again. I mean, it, it's a, there we go. Look, a Jeremy Sarmiento being uh, another, uh, where's, where's the Yassin? Where's the Yassin? Come on, get him, get yeah. him sorted. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, again, just testament to the, to the recruitment team. Like, um, I, I always knew that there was something very special about Julio. And I, I think, um, you know, like you said in the past, he's maybe had a tendency to be a bit selfish at times and, and a bit um, uh, just seemingly wanting to pull out an absolute worldie all the time, sort of what it felt. Um, but I feel like he's a lot more centred, a lot more level, a lot more grounded to the league and stuff. And so hopefully moving forward, we're, we're going to see some magic from him. I don't, I don't doubt that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I'm excited to see what other sort of made-up players that we can get in, <laughs> maybe in the summer or or whenever. But yeah, it's exciting times for Brighton. I mean, uh, I can't speak highly enough about our recruitment, and and seemingly so can uh, other people always say it. So it's always good. It's always good. Do you reckon, like when Buenanote, you know, really comes on, people are like his name just means good night. They've just made up this person. They've just given him a Spanish name for good night. That's not right. That's what what we do is we just we just flip through the yellow pages and just put two words together and make up a name. You've nailed, put the nail on the head, Curtis. There about our recruitment, especially, um, and it's just so exciting. We do things so so well, and I know it can be very frustrating when we don't go out and buy. Uh, players that people have heard of or if we go oh we need a striker and then it, that doesn't happen and I've been very much at the forefront of that going we need a striker um, but things like Inciso people like Yasin Ayari people like Buenanote people like Evan Ferguson they should really sort of stick out and say we know what we're doing we're quite, we're quite good at this football the thing uh, is now, the thing is though I, I feel like these young players are sort of an investment into the future as opposed to just sort of a fix for now uh, and like as, as much as we would like to spend 50 60 million on a, a really decent striker who's going to bag us 20 goals a season right that's a lovely thought I like that thought too but like as I say bringing in these young players who can who can see us through to the next I don't know, five or six seasons maybe and into the future. I think that's really savvy. And, you know, spending like five to seven million on these young people and it, it it's really clever, just really clever stuff. And and Tom, I was watching um, 
one of our I, I was watching our summer transfer window roundup episode back last night uh, because that's what I do. I watch our old content back because you, you, you can see me as the Roberto Deservey of the podcast scene. I'm striving for that uh, perfection that may, may never come. But balls, I, just, balls. I know. Big, big balls. Um, big balls. And Tom, in that episode, you mentioned about the striker situation and the question was asked, is our squad in a stronger position now than it was at the start of the window? Um, and I think it's really interesting to ask you the question now, if you think the squad that we had last season is weaker or stronger than the squad we have right now. Um, that's a really good question. But I think what that question doesn't take into account is the coach. Because I think if Graham Potter was still here, we wouldn't have seen him see so as much, if at all. I don't think we would have seen much of Jeremy Sarmiento. I know we haven't seen a whole lot of him. I don't think we would have seen Evan Ferguson. I don't think we... Yeah, I'm going to make that call. I don't think we would have. He wasn't even playing Matoma. I think we've got a really good squad in this system under this coach, but I just don't... I think that's a bit of a... If the coach was the same, I think it'd be easier to answer. But I think because of the change in system, the change of personnel, we'll just never know. We'll never know. We could see if, if Graham Potter was still here. We might still be persevering with Pascal Gross at right wing back, uh, Zakiri at left wing back, and Flossar as a false nine. We, you know, you just you just don't know, do you? Yeah. Um, but our squad right now is young. It is exciting, and you know Simon Jordan said on Talksport, I saw, um, you know, he said that Brighton were years ahead of everyone else, years in terms of recruit. Um, so I think that's fantastic. And that's from Simon Jordan um, and the fact Simon that you know, both our goal scorers yesterday were under the age of twenty. When was the last time that happened? Probably I think it was like a combined actually, age, a combined age of very like refreshing to see these young goal scorers being the reason we've come away from, you know, the Vitality Stadium with three points and we've done the double over Bournemouth. So, yay. I am actually a lot more excited than that. That was quite a contained yay. Last night I was like, yes, we've just beaten Bournemouth. We've got six points and now we're four points away from third. And this is a season. I of... cannot keep that fact. I this is can't. Brighton and Albion, of... the team I can started Tom watching when they were in League Two. <laughs> yeah, I don't League think Tom can hear us. And now, you know, four <laughs> points off third. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. So, I'm Tom very much going to be us. very much uh, a case no. of no. we're going to look ahead to the next game. But before we look ahead to the so next game, we we're just, just going to carry on talking. Top so player. I'm going to come to you first, Joe. Yeah. Who was your player of the match, please? I don't know because I don't think you can hear me, Tom. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Curtis, can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Put your hands up if you can hear me. <laughs> you can't hear us, Tom. You've been talking this whole time. <laughs> I'm leaving this in, by the way, because this is hilarious oh, content. Because me and Curtis have been trying to. He can't hear with, you. He can't hear you. I know. I know he can't. But you can hear me, so I'm yeah, talking yeah. to you, Curtis. So Tom's been yabbering away, um, making some amazing points. I have to say. Yeah. 
Um, mm. And uh, me and Curtis have been, you know, trying to chip in on the conversation, but Tom just simply can't hear us. He's asked Bless me a him. question, um, and I, th- I think he's typing to us now. Um, so, breaking news, guys. Albion obsessed. Um, so you're being detect- mean. <laughs> we, we are. We're, no, yeah. we're, we're not being mean. We're, we're being... Have you tried turning it off and on again? I Have think he's you about to do tried that. turning it on again? I mean, this is just top quality. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Sorry, that was my fault. Again, I don't like being away from my setup. My setup is perfect, <laughs> and I come here. By the way, well, you made with... some really great points, but we were like talking over you like a lot, and you were you were just like, yeah. So the football, the, 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 and we were just like, you were like, yeah, I, yeah. The combined age was thirty-eight of those two players, and you were just like, well, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I I thought he was just being really rude. <laughs> no, I couldn't hear you. That is hilarious. Um, I can't remember what I, what was I saying, Curtis. Ah, this is what I'm going to say. I'll, we'll start here again, guys. So, um, I'll be an obsessed viewers. That is what happens when technology doesn't work. So there you go. Um, I think we kept that rolling quite nicely, to be honest. Um, what you were saying, Tom, you said about um, we broke the hoodoo of beating Bournemouth. We've broken the Danny Ings hoodoo as well this season. This season is a season of breaking hoodoos. Um, we've got Aston Villa on the last day. Aston Villa are picking up form to hopefully get Europe themselves. We all know what happened on the last day in the championship, don't we? So are we going to break that hoodoo as well? Who knows? Um, that would be yeah. nice. Hmm, that would be, be nice. Uh, yeah, we also beat uh, Liverpool as well and Chelsea. Some, some nice hoodoo being broken this season. So, gentlemen, it's time for me to talk about the player of the match. Um, Joe, player of the match, please. I'm going to come to you first. Jason Still Called upon on all of the right moments um, and produced fantastic saves. Um, and, yeah, I think gave us that solid platform to build from the back yet again. Um, and I'm fully with Deserby. And he he is the man to to play this system for me, and he played another perfect game. Very nice, very nice, Curtis. How about you? Who was your player of the match? Um, a couple of really good performances uh, from for some people yesterday. I thought Matoma had a good game. Um, he was sort of that um, silent threat. You know, he he didn't really pop up that much, but when he did, it w- it was beneficial. Um, but I'm gonna have to agree with Joseph. I think it's gonna have to go to Steele. Um, you know, if it wasn't for him, that could have easily been you know a draw or a win for for Bournemouth, who um, we have to give props to. They played really really well yesterday as well. If they keep playing like that, they're gonna have you know no no problems moving forward. Um, so all the best to them. But I'm gonna have to give it to Steele. What about yourself, Thomas? Yeah, I think I'm going to make it a hat-trick. Uh, Jason Steele was was fantastic. Um, I thought, that it, as a performance, it was a sort of a very mediocre performance, and I'm going to put it out there. I do think a better team than Bournemouth would have punished us uh, for sloppiness. Um, however, I think, you know, Steele, right place, right time, um, and he just made, you know, as Joe says, those important saves, those important uh, you know, at those important moments in his distribution, once again, very good. Um, also, a shout out to Moises Caicedo because I thought, you know, he's just he's just so very, very, very good and gets us ticking. 
Um, so yeah, there you go. Um, of course, let us know your player of the match down below as well. Now, Joe, our next game is a pretty big one. We come up against Tottenham Hotspur, who are in a pretty well, not a, not a very good run of form at all. Um, they managed to get a draw against Everton. Um, and it was a bit of a turgid display by all accounts. Um, there was a time, maybe a few seasons ago, where I genuinely not feared Tottenham, but I genuinely thought, oh, this is going to be a tough game. I go into Saturday, I'm full of confidence. How are you feeling ahead of the weekend? Yeah, um, I don't think they're a team that scare me anymore. I say that when we lose three nil. Um, but you know, we we can't we can't forget that they do have some world class players in their team. Um, some players that in the split second can can kill you and, and change a game. Um, so we have to be realistic. We can't go there thinking, yeah, we're we're going to batter them uh, because it's going to be a, a really difficult game for us. Um, and especially when the pressure's on. Because the pressure on this game is huge, um, you know. Uh, Spurs know that we're breathing down their necks quite literally, and that a win for us would take us within one point, I believe, of them with another game in hand. Um, so the pressure is going to be on it. It's going to be who can deal with that pressure the most. Um, and I think Deserby is going to coach the perfect game um, and get us a lovely three points back to the South Coast and North London is going to be certified Brighton and Hove Albion's yes again. Let's hope so. Um, of course, a lot of it depends on whether Harry Kane has recovered from his, his you know, the brutal assault that he uh, oh, received so awful. in that game. So uh, awful. And also on, on international duty, he got so badly winded that all he could do was crawl across the line and lay there and, and just let the last breath leave him. It, it's it's just so sad to see that happen on a football pitch. And I wish Harry Kane all the best. Um, and I hope for a very, very quick recovery for him. Very, very respectful of you there, Joe. Uh, Curtis, uh, do you fear Tottenham Hotspur or are they very much similar to myself and Joe? Have they become a team less worthy of our fear? I'm not confident, Tom. I'm extremely confident, extremely. Um, you know, I'm the I'm the the resident positive person here. Um, I agree with what Joe was saying. You know, I, I, I'm not concerned really about Tottenham. I mean, like, you know, I, I probably will be on the day, um, but you know, this is going to be another huge game. And to be honest, every game now until the end of the season is a huge game. So we have to go into every single game believing that we can win, um, because. Um, I tell you, though, like before the uh, Brentford game, I was more worried about that game than I am for this. So that should tell you something. But like I was saying um, before I drifted off, um, we just need to do as well as we can in every single game now until the end of the season because it's in our hands, ultimately. Uh, I mean, our next chapter in the club's history is in our hands. It very much and that's is. bloody scary. It is. It's terrifying. Uh, the last time I remember having a moment of history in our hands was when we got promoted and Don't we needed three points. Don't do it. Three games. Tom, Don't do it. Um, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little quick segue away from that point, Tom, and give a few shout outs and a little uh, s some announcements as well. So um, there's a new Twitter account on the blocks called Seagull Stickers, and they sent me five 
wonderful sticker. So we've got the Zerby ball. We've got, I, I understand this is probably not very good for the audio listeners. Uh, we've got with Dean to Wembley. We've got De Kaiser. We've also got Ali Mack is on my mind. And of course, the one I showed earlier, the Jeremy Sarmiento sticker. And um, so if you want uh, to get your hands on these stickers, go to seagullstickers.com and uh, follow them at seagullstickers. Um, they're doing really good designs. Lots more in the pipeline as well. Um, and also, we've got a little giveaway going on. Um, so if you want to get yourself your hands on a commemorative scarf of the FA Cup semi-final, go to our Twitter account at uh, Albion Obsessed and give it a retweet. Make sure you follow us. Make sure you like the tweet as well, and you will be entered. Winners will be announced on the 7th. Yes, Friday is the 7th um, at 5 o'clock. Um, and, yeah, that's all that good stuff. Also, at Wembley, look out for that big flag. Um, if you're an audio listener, it's a big flag that says Pride of the South Coast. I'll be an obsessed logo in the middle um, because we're going to be filming some awesome content around our fantastic day to Wembley. Hopefully, the first of two this season but who knows we just want to capture the day and we want to take advantage of such an amazing opportunity and celebrate the squad no matter what happens between now and then it's just going to be a great day so that's all from me i think a vast amount of us are going to be there too which is going to be fantastic so feel free to come up to us and be nice obviously but have a nice conversation with us We're, we're friendly um and uh yeah give us your thoughts uh and it's going to be really really exciting i'm looking for, looking forward to meeting some of you except for tom he's very scary you, you don't want yeah, to cross do tom. Not approach tom no. he will he will give you a big i will use my he will, voice. he will put you in detention he carries a he carries a big salmon around with him to hit people with it's quite disturbing actually but... i'm vegan there are no know, there is no which salmon. Is what makes it even worse <laughs> it's alive still <laughs> yeah. like, I need yeah. to find a river. Um, <laughs> but anyway, enough of me carrying around fish. Um, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. I've just got this thought now be wandering around Wem- Wembley with a fish. Like that. Um, like, yeah. What do I do? Um, <laughs> if you'd like to see and hear more banterific. <laughs> I hate this. Oh, so wonderful. <laughs> Well, that is it for our post-Bournemouth roundup. Let us know in the comments who your player of the match was. Let us know your thoughts about Caicedo and McAllister. Let us know also what you thought about the peach of a goal that Evan Ferguson scored and a wonderful goal from Julio Enciso, the first of many, I am sure. And of course, don't forget to like, share and subscribe for more wonderful content if you haven't done so already. Wherever you may be, whenever you may be. I'm going to go find a river.